This episode is brought to you by Maui Nui Venison, a mission-based food company bringing the healthiest meat on the planet directly to your door. I have strived over the years to cultivate a deeper connection with the food that fuels myself and my family, balancing nutritional value and ethics that align with our values. This process has led me to harmonize with nature as much as possible. Maui Nui Venison brings this process to fruition. Not only does this company provide the most nutrient-dense meat available, this is the only stress-free, 100% wild-harvested red meat on the market, an operation that is truly one of its kind, actively managing Maui's invasive axis deer populations, helping to restore balance to vulnerable ecosystems and communities in Hawaii. Maui Nui seeks to restore balance, not eradicate or farm these animals. Managing populations means only a limited number of memberships are available. Get yours while you can. Go to MauiNuiVenison.com slash mindful to get 20% off your first order. Before you drift off into one of our meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to share with you one of the new opportunities for our listeners at The Mindful Movement. This is Sarah Raymond, and I'm so excited to announce the expansion of our coaching services to include two of my good friends and excellent coaches, Nikki Dyer and Laura Cannon. Both Nikki and Laura provide their own unique skill sets, allowing us to meet the needs of our growing audience. If you want to learn more, just follow the coaching link in the show notes. As always, we are grateful for your support and look forward to working with you. Welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for tuning in today for another episode. Laura Cannon is with me. Laura, I think you were our first interview. I believe that's correct. Thanks for joining me today. I'm so happy to be here. I'm kind of excited. Uh, right on the horizon in the new year, you're going to be helping out a little bit more with the Mindful Movement. Yes. And what I was hoping to do for those that... Uh, weren't around when we had our first episode and didn't get to hear who you are, what you're about. I want to take a little bit and reacquaint myself with how you got to what you're doing. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about um, some of the help you've provided for me personally. And um, just get some insights of where you're at today and how you think you're, what your role is going to be with the mindful movement. So uh, to start off, Laura, when you first came on, you, we were talking a lot about a book you've written. I want to say it was called Conscious Entrepreneur. You got it, yep. Tell, Tell us a little bit about that book. That book was really a labor of love. So it was something that when I was writing it, I thought, you know, in 20 years, what would I want my daughter when she's, you know, entering college, when she's growing up? what is the most important wisdom that I'd want her to have? And if I could put it all in one book, what would it say? So I really kind of kept that in mind, you know, like this really heart-based advice of what I'd want to tell her from my journey, both on a spiritual path and as a business person, as an entrepreneur. So that was kind of the guiding light when I was writing. I was thinking about how could I help her? If I wasn't here one day, what's the message that oh. I would want to leave? It's interesting because you were an entrepreneur then when you wrote the book, mm -hmm. but I've watched you since then. And it's almost as if you wrote that book because it was also the message you needed to blossom into yes. a 
it was like the book you needed to become the entrepreneur that you were aiming to be. And your entrepreneurship has really blossomed since writing the book. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. And I think this probably happens with a lot of people when they write a book, is that you write also what you most need to hear. So there's been several times in my own entrepreneurial journey where, you know, I've been sharing my struggle with someone, with a friend or someone who's read my book. And they'll say, you know, I think you have the answer to this in your own book. And so I, you know, I recorded the audio book a couple years ago, too, uh, so that I could make it accessible for people who really like audiobooks like myself. And so now I have it on Audible and I listen to it in my car when I'm really feeling like, you know, oh, nice. I need the support of this because it has a lot of exercises in it. So each chapter has some type of exercise to go through and sometimes there are visualizations. And you know, where you are at one part of your journey, you know, like we did this interview so many years ago now, yeah. I feel like was the first one. I'm in a different place in my life now. So my answers to my own exercises change, you know, as we all change. Change is the constant. So, yeah, it's really supported me on my on my journey as well. That's great. You also reference like your spiritual journey. I mean, I've Kevin come to you before for what seemed to be spiritual guidance in some way a few times in like a group setting through meditation way back in the day. And then also once on a more personal level when I was at a tough time and um, I remember getting really vulnerable about some things in that session. In fact, I don't want to talk about them here because I don't think Sarah would appreciate it. But okay. um, <laughs> confidentiality, you know, respecting the disclosures of others. I really believe in that. So, yeah, we don't have to talk about that. But I remember <laughs> being really helpful. But you have quite a, a history and you've logged the hours and built experience in, I guess, the spiritual world, bringing in a lot of kind of um, e- more Eastern wisdoms to your practices. Mm-hmm. How did how did that begin, and what does that look like now for you? So when I was about, it's like right before I turned 20, so I was a teenager and I was having some physical pain, certainly a lot of emotional pain. I struggled with depression a lot when I was younger uh, in high school. And I'd been to a conventional Western medical doctor and they just said, hey, you know, don't worry, we have a pill for that. And you can just take this antidepressant. And I said, well, for how long? And they said, oh, you'll just keep on it forever. (laughs) And that wasn't exactly what I thought was the best, but I was really quite desperate at that point. And I was having a lot of pain. And I think sometimes our you know, our emotional issues manifest in the body as physical pain. So one day I was at a friend's house and I was griping about my discomfort and my pain that I was having in my jaw. And he said really casually, you know, my mom does this thing called Reiki and she can like put her hands on you and do some healing work and it helps it feel better. And like I was a pretty open person, but I hadn't had any familiarity really with anything other than Western medicine. And I said, okay, I'll try it. You know, like, great, get your mom. (laughs) And so his mom took me in her living room and it wasn't something super fancy. She just said, okay, just lay in this recliner and I'll just give you some energy. I said, okay. And she just laid her hands on my jaw 
and I felt so relaxed. And I started, as my eyes were closed, I started seeing colors. And it was just this really deep and profound experience. And she said, you know, well, why don't you, why don't you come back in a couple days and we'll do it again? And, you know, I just left feeling like, oh, this is kind of pleasant. But then the next day when I woke up was the first day I really noticed, oh, I didn't wake up with the terrible pain in my jaw. I don't think I was clenching my jaw last night. Mm. And so I went back to her. And then what started to occur in these sessions was some of the emotional things that I had been holding on to, like the depression and, you know, various mental stories that I would tell myself, they started coming up in our sessions and you mean just coming up to you in your mind or were you talking about them hashing out with the practitioner both it was a little of both so it would be almost like seeing like a dreamlike state so i would have visions that were similar to dreams but i was totally aware of everything that was happening in the room and the sounds i wasn't you know really asleep and then sometimes she could sense that I would be going through something difficult because, you know, it would come out of my eyes. I'd start right. crying or I, my body would tense up. And she would guide me like verbally, like, oh, just maybe seeing whatever. I remember once she said, why don't you see that discomfort you're feeling in your belly? And why don't you see it as a box? And I imagined it as a box and she said, now I want you to open the box. And when you open the box, there's going to be a gift inside. Oh, and that, nice. that gift will be like what you need for this next part of your journey. So it was guided, but she wasn't giving me the answers. What a pleasant way to like, what an inviting way to frame it where mm -hmm. she's like teeing you up to see it in a positive light. Yes. When you open yeah. the box. Yeah, that's clever. Yeah, and it really helped. And then, so we did this a few more times. And at that point, I had been told by the doctor with what was going on with my jaw that 100% I was going to have to have my jaw wired shut, that that's, oh, no. that was going to be what had to happen. But I kept going to her, and within a very short period of time, like six weeks, all of my jaw stuff had resolved. Isn't that amazing? It, it was, it was truly amazing, you know, and I just Remind felt me, what age is this? I was maybe like 18, okay. 18, 19, mm -hmm. almost 19. And, uh, you know, I just, it really inspired me. And then the emotional stuff started to transform. And then I really look at that Reiki as kind of like the catalyst that sent me onto the spiritual journey, um, you know, and I really just had what I would describe as a profound awakening type experience. And I really credit the Reiki. And I knew in my heart, like, oh, I want to share this with others. You know, when I thought about how desperate I had been for healing and how impossible the doctors were making it sound, you know, without these right. like very uh, rigid interventions. So that was the beginning. That was the beginning. And then you went deep in a bunch of things. It's funny. I remember going Lots to one of, of one of your um, meditations, and it was early in my meditation practice, and I, like, laid down. And I think it might have been, like, that night. I got a text from you. It was a picture of a page of a book that basically said, dude, sit up when you meditate. 
It's fine. <laughs> you like called me out by texting me a picture of a page from some book explaining why the like you didn't say anything when I was there. It was like passive aggressive almost. <laughs> like, don't be a wuss. Like, stop laying down. And um and you know, there's a place for all kinds of configurations and styles of meditation, but it was good for me at the time because it was like I was looking for a path of least resistance with something. And yeah. now, like, I know there's a lot of benefits in doing the work, paying your dues so that being upright is not uncomfortable or as uncomfortable. Yes. Well, it's funny. I don't remember this specific uh, incident, but I'm not surprised to hear it. <laughs> and I'm sure it wasn't meant to be passive aggressive, but what will happen is sometimes I'll just get a feeling like this is what this person needs right here. And I'll just, it's an offering right. and maybe it'll help and maybe it won't. And that's totally fine. But, you know, it's also great to meditate laying down. Sure. However, you know, each person might have something that they're struggling with at any particular time. So, you know, it's kind of like a lying down during meditation can be an occupational hazard in mm. that it can often take us into states of sloth and torpor and sleepiness. Sleep, yeah. You know, so there is, you know, some wisdom in having the spine stacked, you know, and having this upright posture where our knees are lower than our hips and, you know, our shoulders are rolled back. You know, there are classical postures and everybody as you know, as a movement practitioner, everybody is different and everybody mm -hmm. needs something else, you know, something unique. So maybe at the time that was, <laughs> that was, was what you needed. At the time it was what I needed, I think. Um, what other like, mod I don't want to say maybe modalities or like schools of meditation or mindfulness practices have you pulled from over the years? Because I know you've gone deep in some of them. Yeah, I mean, I have done many different trainings in meditation. So I have both a certification in Buddhist meditation, and then I also have a certification in mindfulness meditation. Uh, I like to explain, though, that even though mindfulness comes out as more secular, ultimately all of this comes from Buddhism. That is the roots. But you know, we can take our mindfulness practice and, and, you know, not have any of those, you know, any of those actual, you know, maybe we're not using Buddhist words, you know, maybe we're not using any type of religious concepts, but it's important to know that that is where it came from. So I really wanted to make sure that I had both more of a modern mindfulness approach that I would say can sometimes veer into more like psychology. And then also to have just a really strong foundation in Buddhist meditation, you know, like classical techniques. So it depends on what audience that I'm teaching to, you know, for example, like I often do, um, I do corporate mindfulness sessions. So when the army brings me in to offer meditation for members of the military, I'm doing a secular based mindfulness and I'm just teaching them how to bring more presence you know, into each moment, how to really pay attention to everything that's happening. Whereas in a Buddhist meditation, you might be using a mantra. You know, you might be using syllables that you don't really know what they right. mean, right? So 
that's not something I would bring in a secular context, but it's part of the background that I have. And, uh, you know, certainly it's, its philosophies have been really helpful to me personally. So that's how it shows up in my practice now as you know, it's part of my personal practice and part of what I share. Cool. Yeah, I would like to hear a little more about like your, and I know this probably, there's some fluidity to this. I know people go in phases of like what they're doing more personally at any given time. But um, like right now, what is your, your let's say meditation or mindfulness practice um, looks like? Yeah. Yeah. So mindfulness now for me, I both have what I would call a formal practice, a formal sitting practice that I do every day. But then mindfulness now is really integrated into every moment of my life. So as I'm sitting here and talking to you, like I'm aware of when my breath is constricted. I'm aware of like when my belly is open and receiving the breath. You know, I'm aware of how my legs feel making contact with the chair, my feet on the ground. So I'm aware of the sound of rain, you know, so I'm just bringing in to my life. Just a, it's like a deeper level of awareness that comes in every moment when you have a committed practice. And then my formal practice changes from time to time. So in the tradition that I practice in personally, there's what we call like a season of practice that happens from November to about the beginning of February. And this is a really intense period of practice. So traditionally kind of the roots of this, it's, uh, you know, the roots of it is these are people who were householders. So they held regular jobs, they worked in fields and also did deep spiritual practice. And so in order to do both, as soon as the fields were tilled and that was done and then the winter was beginning, this was really a time of like, this is when we can do deep spiritual practice. So often during this time, I'll have specific things that I'm working on that change from year to year, different like specific types of practice. And, but my bare minimum, regardless, no matter what time of year it is, is that my commitment is I do 30 minutes of meditation a day, like formal seated. Sometimes that's two hours, sometimes that's 30 minutes, but it's, that minimum 30 minute baseline is like, I have to commit that to myself. And it's been that way for probably about, I'd have to look at my uh, insight timer, which I use and I track the days I do. And I met like, you know, I think it's like six years now of, I have not missed a day for, for several years. And so you're attached. I am. (laughs) Yeah. I'm practicing holding my attachments loosely. Uh, yeah, but it's something really nice about that rhythm. And, uh, you know, even that rhythm, like when I share it with people, it can be an offering. Like, wow, really? You could you can do, do it every day? It's like showing what's possible. Yeah, like my daughter, you know, she would see me meditate because it's part of my day. And when we did this 100 days of practice last year in the, in the winter, I said, well, would you like to come and sit and and practice with us and she said yeah and so she sat down and she did it every day for a hundred days at what age she was I guess she would have just turned nine at that time did she uh, convey to you what she got out of that well she got to the end 
And when she got to the end of the 100 days, she said, well, now what? <laughs> and I said, well, now you can either let it go or make it a way of life. And she said, I think I'd like to keep going. Oh, wow. And so now she's over a year oh, of, daily, of daily practice. And I told her, you know, most people uh, can't say that even as adults. So, yeah, for sure. And she says that what it helps her do is be calm in her body. That's how she describes it, as being wow, calm in her body. that's great. And wise. That's really wise words for that age. Yeah. And it's for funny. For any age. You, right. And like how kids pick up on it. So she had a friend over, and I had noticed they'd gotten quiet. You know, whenever kids are quiet, you know, you're, <laughs> you're more you alert. And I noticed they'd gotten quiet, so I knocked on the door, and I went in. And she was sitting on the floor on a meditation cushion, and her friend was laying in her bed with her <laughs> eyes closed. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, shh. I'm leading her in a guided meditation. <laughs> so your kids are always watching, you know, so. Uh, That's funny. Yeah, so whether it's the book, and I left that for her for when she's older and can understand that, or just watching the daily practice. Like, yeah. it's it's just so great. That's fantastic. So you do a lot of coaching, and you have kind of a niche, and um, I do, and you're going to be offering some through the yeah. Mindful Movement, which is exciting. But I did allude earlier to the fact that you you have been quite a successful entrepreneur, Thank you. and um, it's been you know cool to watch it happen Thanks. or hear via Sarah. You you go on <laughs> weekly walks with Sarah, so I get some of the gossip secondhand. <laughs> but um, talk a little bit about what you built online, what <laughs> like the nature of this business that you have created that is, um, you know, turned into something really beautiful. Yeah, you know, that's the thing about being an entrepreneur is sometimes you have like one idea and, you know, you're really running with that idea. And something I struggled with in the beginning was that it wasn't like there was one thing that I was like, oh, this is, this is my idea that I have to do. I really felt like being an entrepreneur is what I want to do, you know? So I didn't feel like I necessarily had such an attachment to how that looked. Mm. Um, so it started out as one thing and now has become something totally, something totally different. And it was really hard in the beginning because when you would tell people, oh, you know, I, I would say I'm an entrepreneur and they say, well, what do you do? And I would say, well, I do what I love and I love a lot of things. And I would feel sometimes really self-conscious about the fact that I had multiple businesses because, you know, you hear that thing and people will say the quote of like, oh, so you're a jack of all trades mm -hmm. and a master of none. But the rest of that quote is, but better than to be a master of one. That's the part that gets left out. Oh, <laughs> so... But I, you know, I really felt like, oh, people will judge that I'm not taking one thing seriously. Focused. You know, I'm not focused on one thing, but I was focused on one thing. And that was that I made this commitment to myself back in, I guess it was 2010. So prior to 2010, I had been running my own business on the side uh, while I was working a, you know, typical full-time job. And then in 2010, I made a commitment that I was going to make this my year of freedom. 
I was going to detach myself from working for anyone else. I was going to grow the business I had to be able to sustain me and that for the rest of my life, I was never going to do something that wasn't totally because I loved it. Like that that's what I wanted my guiding principle to be, you know, that when people ask, you know, like, what do you stand for? Like I stand for love and I, in all of its forms. So my first business was that I started marrying people. So I became ordained as part of this Reiki, bath, Reiki path that started way in the beginning. When I became a Reiki master teacher, I got ordained so that I could be in hospital settings and be able to offer Reiki as part of my hospice work. Uh, I was doing a lot of volunteering in hospice. So I got ordained. And then one of my students in Reiki said, you know, I just got engaged to be married. I know that you're ordained. Could you marry us? And I said, like, well, I can, uh, but I've never done that before. So if you're cool with me learning on you, I will do it. And I did. And when I was doing it, I had like what Oprah describes as the aha moment. Like I knew this was exactly what I was meant to be doing. And so I did it and I built it up like little by little by little. And then that became what is now called ceremony officiants. And I now have about 40 other officiants that cover like 13 states and go out and marry people and, you know, help celebrate love all around. So it grew into this much bigger thing. And then that grew into different parts of the wedding industry and different things that supported love. And now I have several different businesses in that area. And while I was in that industry and doing a lot of public speaking, I met a lot of entrepreneurs. And because I had a coaching background, because I had this you know, healer background, um, some of them started coming to me for guidance, for more like intuitive, like, what is your take on this? Mm. And then I started realizing that a lot of people who want to start a business, they have all the heart, but none of the business acumen, right? Or maybe very little. And they haven't had that experience, but they have this you know, deep passion. And then I found that there was also people who were extremely successful in business, but were really feeling spiritually empty. So they had reached these highs of success, but had come to this conclusion that you know, this isn't it. So I had kind of like the, these two sides or these two types of clients that I just kept finding were coming to me at different crossroads. And then I started working with them in coaching and then it turned into like a little bit of meditation, a little bit of coaching, a little bit of healing, right. you know? So it's like, I've collected all these skills in what I call my healer's tool belt. And then they're just a part of me. So, you know, like I know when we sat down together, it was just like, well, what do you need in this moment? Right. You know, could be Reiki, that's, could be this. That's great. You have a great skill set. <laughs> Took a long time to accumulate all the skills, but yeah. Um, yeah, and for the Mindful Movement, um, you're going to be offering, so Sarah does a lot of coaching. Yeah. And, you know, I would say, I wouldn't say she has like a specific niche, but there are some things that I would say are 
um, a little outside of like her natural domain or whatever. So we are excited to bring a couple people on to help. I don't want to say like fill the gaps, but really just expand the offering so that yeah. we could meet more the varied needs that people have. Yeah. So um, I'm excited that you're going to be able to offer your coaching and bring this experience with this skill set to folks that have maybe a little bit more nuanced or more specific needs, mm -hmm. especially around um, entrepreneurship. I assume that's like the primary focus or? Yeah, I mean, you know, I really think it's one of those things where, you know, when you find your people, you find your people. So a lot of times people will come to me for meditation and then they just feel like a resonance. Like, okay, I feel attracted to this person, right? I feel attracted to what they're saying and I, I just want to deepen the relationship, to see what's here. And, you know, Sarah is so amazing. I know because, you know, I listen to her <laughs> recordings. She's so amazing at what she does with guiding. You know, like her guided visualizations, are, they're just so amazing. And when we've talked, we thought, okay, well, it could be really interesting for people who've been doing that style of practice for a while to take it a little bit deeper, to do a little bit more of, of an advanced meditative practice. Okay. So I think that what we talked about was that, you know, there might be some people who would be more interested in having longer spaces of silence. And six year streaks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Longer spaces. And um, and then also that I think a lot of people who just end up finding that they're attracted to what I do are those who, you know, maybe they still kind of feel like they feel attracted to meditation, but they feel like, oh, maybe it's a little woo-woo because I'm pretty grounded in the business world. Right. And uh, I am a very much head in the clouds, feet on the ground, firmly <laughs> person. Gotcha. Um, you know, so, you know, like I sit on boards. I have, you know, a very active business life. And also those things aren't separate. Right. You know, and so in the conscious entrepreneur really what that's about is there's a total illusion of this idea of work life balance that really work life integration is really what we're trying to to do when we're bringing in mindfulness like there's the, no real separation there's there yeah. is no real <laughs> separation <laughs> full stop I, I remember you telling me saying once years ago like the way you run your life or what you know is the way you're going to run your business and it's funny because i run a gym and the service i provide in the gym and the passion like there's no doubt in any of my clients mind that i absolutely freaking love them what i'm doing helping them and also if you open the door to the closet it's a fucking mess <laughs> <laughs> like like piles of everything like well that's not the part i want to do so like I'm just going to throw everything that I don't need now in this room and I'll deal with it next year. I'm sure that's relatable to a and lot of people. <laughs> and a decade later, piles. And, you know, coincidentally, in my house, like, I'll straighten up a little bit. But if you look closely, you're going to find a mess. And if you open a closet, you're going to find a mess. It's like, you're right. They're, you know, they're, they're going to be the same. They're going to be the because, same. Or I would say, how is that like your life? That's right. what I, right? You know, like when we find these things, like, okay, like, well, where else do you see that showing up? 
And it's funny that when you start to see things like that, like, oh, these things that seem very practical, you know, when I have people who are in that side of, um, they've really not had much of a spiritual approach to business. You know, they've just done the typical business path, maybe have an MBA, you know, went in that way. Lots of people like that. You know, it's very, the idea that they could learn about themselves through what's happening in their business is not the first thing that they think. Like they don't think, oh, my closet being messy has anything to do with me or my life or my business. What class in their business major regimented in college is gonna (laughs) teach that? Right. You know, it's not something that we often focus on, but it's, you know, it's a real area of inquiry that can produce, you know, I really look at it like, oh, it's not that that means there's a problem, but it's something that you could be curious about. And that's what I really, you know, I really encourage all of my clients to do is to get curious, get really curious about the way that you relate to things, the things that trigger you in life, you know, the things that when you, when you start meditating and you start becoming more aware of your body, and I know you're someone who's really aware of your body. I know because you, you've helped me out so much in the gym to, with squats and, yeah, <laughs> right, maybe even sometimes hyper aware, but uh, that when we learn how to, to, to track our body and its sensations, that we can feel when there's a constriction. We can feel when there's a tightening. So it's starting to also look at these things not as a problem to be solved. Mm. You know, I really try to encourage people like, you are not a problem to be solved, but there's something there that could spark curiosity. So when we feel like a tightness or a constriction, it's just like, hmm, that's very interesting. What, what could that be about? You know, like, like you were saying with the woman who did my Reiki, she invited me into like exploring in this way that was positive, this box, instead of being like, oh, Crap, I got all this stuff in the closet. That's probably not good. Yeah, the instinct <laughs> that most people I think would have is there's something wrong with me and needs to be fixed. Oh, it's it's just, you know, I just feel that so deeply in my heart because that's just such a common narrative that I hear from people is, you know, like, there's something wrong with me. It's like this feeling that they're deeply flawed. You know, and that is just such a common occurrence when I talk to people that it's natural then like that their mind goes to like, this is, this is something I did, you know, so I don't want to look at it. Mm. And so just inviting people to consider what it might be like if it wasn't a problem to be solved, but it was instead something to, to be with, you know, one of my teachers used to say, Try to approach your, your inner world, your inner life, like you would approach a small child that was like really in pain and really crying, a small child that you loved, or your animal that you love and you see that they're hurting and they're in pain, you're not going to go up and chastise them and right. tell them like, you've done something wrong by putting all that stuff in the closet, like you're a problem, we need to fix this. You know, you'd get down to their level and you'd say, I love you and it's okay. Whatever it is is okay. So it's really about learning, I think, how to be that way with yourself because most of us aren't. It's funny. I just was with a client this morning at her house and um, 
she's a fairly new client. So I've been seeing her once a week for, I think we're about two months in. And she's like progressing great. Like, I would say well above average and just like killing it. And after every set of anything we do, it's a story that comes out of how like that wasn't good and how how should it be better and and um and I just keep reminding her like you're just you know there's this you're creating something out of you're creating conflict out of nowhere mm. a thin air or between your left and right ear you're just like creating a narrative mm-hmm. that doesn't need to be there and it's so, it's like so hard on herself and she's super successful and like yeah. there's a common thing there where the thing that the the trait the the quality that you manifest that allows you to be successful especially like you know like type A'ers or whatever I don't know if I believe in that but if that was a thing where you're just driven you're productive you accomplish a lot of tasks in life like whatever that is is the same thing that's like getting you to fall in the trap and just beat yourself up mm-hmm. and like to mm-hmm. to always be trying to fix to always be finding the problem yeah and you know if, if you're in your mid 40s and you've been doing that since you know you were getting good grades in high school or middle school there's some really deep embedded software there that needs to be like superseded with new neurological pathways and ideas that you know is not not easy yeah, I mean, you bring up a great point. The way I often talk about this is we all have our top 10 hits. And these are the narratives that like we pick up and they play in our minds. They're different for different people, but there are some that are very common. So you know, common for high achievers, you know, like this is, I'm so guilty of that. This is definitely my number one hit, is not enough. Right. Reminds me of what you were saying about your client and that not enough could manifest in so many different ways. It could be, you know, I'm, I'm not performing well enough. I'm not, uh, I'm not thin enough. I, you know, just not enough. It could be any of those ways. And these are often the things that when we start meditating and when we really start to just quiet and see and observe like what comes up, is we start to see and notice some of these tapes. And I think what happens is when people haven't been told this, like that this is a normal thing and it's totally normal to then, you know, as soon as we settle down to realize like, oh, there's all this stuff here, is that when people haven't had that normalized for them, they start hearing these things in their mind louder and then they want to quit. And then they want to stop practicing because they're like, well, when I wasn't looking at that closet, it was, was you know, it was fine. But really, it's not about that. It's about changing your relationship and seeing it, like seeing like, oh, there's my not enough tape again, like and befriending it, like almost having it be light. So now that I know that about myself and of course, like, you know, I've known this for many years and it's certainly much less than it was. Now, when anything pops up that where I feel that tightness and constriction, one of the first things I've trained myself to ask is, is this not enough? 
Like, is that what this really is? Is it that program that's running? And then what do you do? So if I see that it is, which oftentimes it is, then my practice is compassion. So that's when like, I'll literally put my hand on my heart and I'll say, compassion, compassion. You know, like I really, I really just have so much love for the fact that like this has been here for so long and it really believes that it's serving me. You know, mm. like that belief of not enough really believes that it will, it'll be the thing that spurs me into action. Like if I, if I go into a mindset of scarcity, then I'll produce what I need to produce. I mean, I, I've seen enough times that that's not true, but that part believes so deeply that that's true. You know, and it's so much easier, you know, you could have a friend on the outside might run something like this and you can totally see it when it's someone else's stuff. And you would be so compassionate, you know, if, like if I was telling you this and, you know, of course you would be so compassionate and say, oh, don't beat yourself up. And, but that's not usually how we treat ourselves, Absolutely. you yeah. know? And I think that's part of, part of really what mindfulness can offer us is that there's two wings, you know, it's mindfulness, but it also needs to be compassion. Another reason I see people quit meditating is because they sit down to go meditate and they have some uh, notion that what that means is that they're going to sit down and they're gonna stop thinking. Meditation is not about not thinking. Thinking is to the mind as hearing is to the ear. Like it's the natural expression. It's not something that you're trying to make stop or make go away, it's going to come. But it's about learning that when these thoughts come, thoughts of any kind, whether they're scarcity and lack and not enough, or well, what am I gonna make for dinner? Or you know, how does my hair look? Whatever it is, it's just learning how to really receive them all with equanimity. In the same way that you, know, you don't take any one cloud in the sky seriously. Mm. You know, like, oh, that cloud's always gonna stay that way. It's, it's gonna shift, it's gonna change, it's gonna morph. The same is true with our thoughts if we don't concretize them, if we don't let them hook us and carry us somewhere else. So it's about cultivating this space of really curiosity and compassion, and like, a, like an interest. You know, that's the thing that's been so fun for me is, you know, it used to be when things would get heavy, I'd be like, oh, I don't like this. I can tell this isn't going to be good. And now when things get hard, I promise you, I get honestly excited. Because I'm like, oh, there's something here. There's like a gift in this box. There's something here that when I learn how to be with it, to sit with it, I'm going to grow in some way. And that's exciting. Yeah, oh, I wish I could say, I'm not enough here. I don't think I could do that. I wish I could say that I get to that point where when I have those restrictions come up, you know, I could see them and sometimes I could get good things out of them. But getting excited that they're there, yeah, I think I have a lot of runway in front of me to improve <laughs> to, to, to get to that point. Well, it can happen. It I mean, that's happen. the thing is it yeah. really can. Because once that starts to you know, once you start to realize that when you do the work, right? Like when you do the work and by doing the work, I mean, 
when you're able to stay with what is. That's Pema Chodron often calls it, you know, like staying. Like, can you just stay? Instead of being the, you know, it's like you're training a puppy, you know, and you're just stay. You just, you keep bringing it back to the paper, stay. The more you train to just stay with whatever is arising, the more you start to see, oh, it's the staying that does the transforming. It's actually just not running. Like that does so much, you know, because we're often in this like fight, flight or freeze. But if we can open up and learn to stay just present with the breath more and more, we'll start to see that it transforms. And that's, it's actually what's interesting about Buddhism. It was taught to me by a teacher once that the way that faith in Buddhism is different from faith in other traditions is that it's more like the faith that you get that if you were thirsty and you drank this water, you have faith that it will quench your thirst because you've had the direct experience of that being true for you. When you have the direct experience, when you have that type of faith of like, I know from my experience that when I stay with something and I really see it and I have compassion that it shifts things, then, then you're like, oh, I have a tool that I know works. Mm. And that's when the excitement comes. You have that reference that it'll work. Yeah. Once you know, like, oh, I've done this. I've, this is something I can, I can work with. This is workable. You know, it's so radical to feel that kind of empowerment of like, everything is workable if you are able to be present with it. Mm. And that just takes practice. Takes practice. Yeah. Speaking of practice, you're going to be providing some practices. So not mm -hmm. just coaching, but I think there's going to be some content um, coming through the mindful movement mm -hmm. that you're going to be contributing to. So I appreciate you doing that. Um, My pleasure. Can, so I guess for the listeners, keep an eye out for that. I think it'll be coming yeah. in January. Um, yeah. Is there anything you want to uh, provide as far as like what that might look like or? Yes, I started recording some of them. And like I said, it's a bit different than what Sarah offers. I, I love what Sarah offers. But this will be more of a dive into that silent space with support. So, so there'll uh, be guidance. There'll just be a lot more time for self-reflection. Yes, yes. Uh, so it's a lot more open in, in that sense of there's not necessarily like, oh, this is for stress or this is for a particular remedy. As much as it is training and practicing in all the things we've just been talking about of like, what do we do when we're in meditation and a thought comes? You know, like, how do we relate to what's arising? And so it'll be a lot of a, a training in that, of relating to what's arising. So whether we're doing a body scan and just like learning how to inhabit our body with our presence, um, whether we're learning how to be compassionate with whatever is arising or aware of our emotions, uh, those are all things that we're going to explore. And yeah, I really think that it'll serve the need for people who kind of want to go a bit deeper in their practice, who feel a little more stable and are ready to go deep. But that said, it's also totally for beginners. 
you know, there really is no like, oh, this is the more advanced practice. Right. Just different. Sitting today is the same as when I sat 20 years ago in many ways. Like the practice is the same. How the flavor changes over time, you know, those things happen. But the Dalai Lama once said, you should never look at the quality of your practice like in one session or even in one year. In fact, you should look at it in 10 year increments. <laughs> so that's a lot more freeing. You know, if we right. think, well, if I look at my life 10 years ago, have I become more mindful? Have I become a more loving and compassionate person? Have I become more resilient? So, you know, we do this, like, of course, like one step at a time, and these practices help that. But you know, it's, there's freedom to not have every practice be perfect. I had a, a practice session earlier this week where my mind was going so wild, you know, bouncing all over the place from this thought to that thought. And I had had a difficult encounter with someone earlier in the day. And so, you know, as the mind does, like it likes to replay that. And well, what if I said this? And what if I said that? And, you know, all of that was coming. And I was just able to just at one point laugh because it's just, it's just like so ridiculous, you know, <laughs> like sometimes how the cacophony of the mind is. And then just to relax into it and say like, okay, you know, this session isn't one with a large open space. And, you know, just like we're different in the body from day to day. Yeah, for sure. Our mind's different from day to day. And just really learning your own internal landscape in that way is just so valuable with nice. compassion, of yeah. course. Well, Laura, um, I'm excited. Me too. You have a lot to offer. Thank and, you. Um, I'm excited to help be a conduit for that offering. And yeah. I appreciate you taking the time today to Thank catch you. up with me and to let yeah. the audience kind of a little bit more about you. Thank you. Yes, I hope that you will join in the meditations and the practice and that you'll reach out to me if you have any questions or if I can support you in any way, I'd be delighted to. Great. All right, yeah. folks, that's a wrap. Always grateful for your listening. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you all have a great day. Thank you, Les.